Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Corey Reiser. He's a chiropractic physician and a practicing certified functional medicine practitioner who founded Functional Health Center of the Carolinas, a highly regarded functional medicine clinic in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the focus of his practice is primarily functional medicine treatment of these chronic diseases like type 2, thyroid, cognitive decline, autoimmune disease, etc. And he's really made it a priority to help the Carolina region combat a devastating devastatingly high incident of chronic disease and obesity through functional medicine, paleo nutrition, and nutraceutical interventions. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Elle. Thanks for having me. So why did you decide to move into functional? What caught you about that versus other modalities and areas for you to move into uh, for your career? Um, so I, you know, a lot of people that obviously come on your podcast have some sort of personal story, um, more related to their very own health. And unfortunately, you know, I don't have that story where my health was majorly affected by a, you know, a, a significant disease process or something like that. Um, you know, after, after going through functional medicine training and everything else, as far as chiropractic, obviously, you know, I've changed the way I've lived and my nutrition and, and what I follow. And, and I've, you know, at the age I'm now 33. I mean, if you looked and, and, and talked to me when I was 23, it's a night and day difference, but the biggest thing was um, watching family members kind of get, you know, fail time and time again through the conventional model. Um, I was in, you know, I was in pre-med biology and I was, you know, for undergrad and actually I was doing more of microbiological work, looking at, you know, MRSA and, and, and multi-resistant staphylococcus aureus and all these things. And, and, you know, biology really interested me and we were working with antibiotics and certain things. And, and so my sister at the time was a pharmacist and, you know, I said, hey, it seems great. She's, she's loving her job. And so I said, maybe I should go down that path. You know, we're, we're helping a lot of people. And at the time I had no idea that there was this other realm of, you know, functional medicine or holistic nutrition or anything like that. So I said, okay, while I'm, I'm doing this in school, let's, let's, you know, uh, go work at a pharmacy, see what it's like, be a pharmacy technician, kind of dip my toes in it. And, you know, I was extremely excited and, you know, it didn't take long. You know, I, I worked a couple summers um, between, between classes and it was really it didn't take long for me to realize that, you know, these people that were coming in, it was, you know, everyone was so sick and they were on multiple medications and it was confusing for the pharmacist to make sure that, you know, nothing was interacting and how would they feel on this one when they're already on this medication and I just didn't get a good vibe from it. I didn't I didn't think we were helping anybody. And I mean, to be honest, I got very bored. Um, it wasn't anything that stimulated me as far as, you know, researching and, and getting to the bottom of, you know, why these people were feeling the way they were. And so I kind of backed off on that. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And uh, I actually had no idea. So I applied for pharmacy schools, physician's assistant. And my roommate at the time, he uh, he applied to chiropractic school. And I had, you know, I'd never heard of it. And I said, you know, what is that? And he kind of described it to me. So I said, okay, maybe I'll check this out. And I I uh, shadowed a few chiropractors and, you know, I spent a day there and it was, it was a huge difference. Every patient going in there was excited. They were happy. They were getting healthy. It was always the same story where they were like, 
wow, you know, I've been in pain for so long or I've, I've felt this way for so long and I can't believe that I feel the way I'm feeling. And it was just a 180 degree turn for me of, you know, what I thought I should do. And so I went to chiropractic school and, and I went down that road for a little bit, obviously, um, in, in school. And, and while I was in school, uh, my grandmother uh, passed away of lymphoma and she was also a type 2 diabetic. And so I kind of, again, got to see the other side of things with her. And, you know, she was a type 2 diabetic. She was on a ton of insulin. And I remember I would spend the night at her place and we would wake up in the morning and we'd have we would have raisin bran together. And she would put two or three tablespoons of sugar on her raisin bran and shoot up the insulin and we were good to go. So, it was, oh. you know, <laughs> like, wow. And I think, you know, at the time I didn't think of anything, think anything of it. And sure enough, so later on in life, I think she was about 76, um, got lymphoma and we were, we were, you know, going through chemo with her and she, I think she went through six rounds of chemo and she was doing, you know, not doing great, but we were, you know, eradicating it. And I remember the doctor saying, Hey, actually, you know, this last look we have of this, it's completely gone. We're doing great. And I remember them saying, well, we already have another treatment scheduled. Why don't we just go ahead and do it? You know, why not? And sure enough, Two days later, after her last chemo, it basically wore her out and she passed away. And it was one of those things like, really, just because they had it scheduled, they wanted to do it. And, you know, it bothered me, really bothered me. And I continued through school. Six months later, uh, my mother got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, stage four pancreatic cancer at the time. And they gave her, you know, a few months to live. And prior to that, about six months before, she was, you know, she was sick and, uh, no, no doctor really said anything. I mean, she looked yellow, her eyes were yellow. I mean, all this stuff was going on and it wasn't any kind of priority or concern. And then sure enough, we, as we know, with pancreatic cancer, it moves very quickly. So you always think back, you know, what if when she looked like that or when she felt like that, could we, could we have helped her? And, you know, she was on everything from statins, to high blood pressure. And, you know, she was on antidepressants. I mean, you name it, she was on it. And so, so, she passed away. And again, I was, you know, looking at the other side going, okay, did we do everything we could have possibly done? And then two years later, my dad kind of from that instant of, you know, losing his mother and losing um, his wife kind of spiraled downhill. And he already wasn't in the best health. I mean, we growing up never ate well, we were eating processed meats all the time. And, you know, cereals, I could always remember every single morning was cereal. And it was, you know, we had no idea. And sure enough, you know, he was his, I got all of his lab work after he passed away and he had a heart attack and, you know, his cholesterol was never under control. He was on high dose statins and, and blood pressure medications and diuretics and, you know, you name it. So again, it was like, I have all this information finally compiled and I said, wow, you know, I, I've been through the pharmacy aspect of it. I didn't see anybody being helped. I, I've seen, you know, in the last two years in school, my family members failed. And I said, there's gotta be a different direction. So, you know, I graduated and started practicing and where I was practicing at the time, they, uh, I think this was in 2012 or 2013, they, they were catching wind of functional medicine. I was like, wow, what is this? And I went through to get my certification. I was like, why can't we do this for everybody? You know, why is this something that is, you know, why, why did it take me going through undergrad and grad school to just not even hear about this? So that's when I kind of dedicated the rest of my career, at least for right now, as you know, to functional medicine and really where we are at in the United States as far as the Carolinas, Georgia, southeastern United States, it's just it's devastating. I mean, these people are kind of like where my parents are, where they had no idea that this existed, no idea about nutrition and how it can affect the body. So 
long story, but that's kind of how I stumbled upon it really and fell into it. And, you know, now I'm never going to look back. Wow. What a tsunami of just unfortunate familial downfalls. Mm -hmm. And to watch that, I, uh, that's, that had to have been so tough, but, uh, as well ignited an inspiration. That's really important today. Get out the message of functional medicine. And I want to talk about more about what that entails. And of course people will be like, yeah, yeah, it's holistic, integrative. We get it. <laughs> but, 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 you know, there's, there's some more aspects to that. I find it, um, I guess first I'll address this is that I find it very interesting and I don't know exactly where it comes from. I guess I can only assume that the doctors are seeing chiropractors are seeing patients who are in pain. Therefore they're looking at anything that can help pain because it's so interesting how so many chiropractors are paleo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, even from when I first started and got certified, it's, you know, I have friends and colleagues that I told it, told them about and, and I think what it is, a lot of it is as chiropractors, we're kind of, you know, primed to look at, and I hate to use this cliche because it's used so much, but, you know, root cause, we're trying to look at the root cause of everybody's issues. And, you know, if you're very philosophical with chiropractic, you may think it goes right, you know, all to the spine. And then there's a lot of, you know, on the opposite side of it, there's a lot of us chiropractors that, you know, obviously you want to have spinal health, but you basically get to underlying physiological issues are the cause of a lot of these diseases and a lot of these chronic diseases. And that's, you know, like I always say, they're the forgotten diseases because it's once you have them, you're going to have them for life. They're debilitating, they're degenerative, and hey, we're just going to do our best to manage it. And I don't understand why that's the case. And, you know, especially in the United States, we're great at acute care. You know, if somebody has a heart attack or needs a surgery or something like that, or, you know, a diabetic, their blood sugar goes in the 400s, 500s, like, you know, thank goodness we have medications to bring the blood sugar down. But why does it change when somebody has a disease process where there's no quick fix? Why do we just shove it to the side? And for chiropractors, I think that we've kind of been on this crusade for a long time of, hey, you know, it doesn't necessarily require a medication to make people feel better. And it all started obviously with back pain and neck pain and, and it, you know, went into all these disease processes. And, and I think we kind of, you know, once we started to see functional medicine, it was like, wow, this is right up our alley. This is what we want to do. We want, you know, and we want to tell people, Hey, if you are you know proactive with your health, you know, it's not a death sentence just because somebody has told you you have a disease process. You can reverse a lot of these diseases, and it comes from very simple interventions, and that's what we try to do the most of. It's, you know, if it's a low back, it, it, hey, it might just be a simple adjustment a few times, and you'll be better. You don't have to get injections and ibuprofen and oxycodone and all these all these things that we think, you know, are there to manage the, the pain that's going to be there forever. So I think that's why a lot of chiropractors are going towards it. We want our say. That's another thing. I think for a while we've been kind of um, pushed down the ladder as far as prominence and as far as where people's priority is as far as physicians. And I think since functional medicine came out, it's like, wow, we can grasp onto this and show what we can really do. And I think now we're really showing um, America and maybe even the world, you know, what we can do as far as practitioners. Yeah, you know, uh, on the paleo note and pain, and I've talked about it before a long time ago, but I have a friend whose husband, um, via her Hashimoto's, and she was doing all the cooking, just started to eliminate grains and gluten. <laughs> like, it wasn't up to him. It was like, okay, well, he just ate whatever she was cooking. So, you know, he, he griped a little bit, but went with it. And then um, it was after like a, a, a month or two, 
And uh, he was like, oh, one, he wanted a special pasta dish that he always ate at the local Italian place. So he, she's like, he's like, great, enjoy yourself. He did, and then he woke up the next day, and he, he could barely move. And, you know, it's so important, and I'd love to hear at this point, since we're on the paleo, to some of the just diet, and, and also just people I know who changed their diet and fixed up and, and nipped in the bud a Hashimoto situation in eight weeks, but you didn't have to go farther and was able to manage it, or someone who really just got themselves out of the throes of hypothyroidism, obviously just through that, not always the case, but what are some paleo just dietary stories that... um you've had that are just in and of themselves, you know, because those are sometimes, right, the simplest answers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, and it always comes back to you right off the bat, too. I mean, if I get a hold of anybody, it's immediately, you know, regardless of how deep we've gone diagnostic testing, it's like, okay, let's give up some grains, let's give up some dairy for a few weeks and, and see what happens. And it is, like, shocking to people that that's even something that could, you know, that could make such a difference. And, you know, they'll come back in my office and go, wow, I cannot believe how much better I feel. And that's where we always begin. And then I try to tailor it from there. Um, we had a patient, um, and I, I tell the story a lot. She was, I think she was 32 when she came to me and she had, you know, debilitating anxiety to the point of, you know, we, she couldn't, she would tell me, and I remember in her initial consultation, she was, she was like, you know, I, I would go to a baseball game. And if I sat at that baseball game for longer than 10 minutes, just the amount of people there would give me a panic attack. And, you know, I said, well, how many panic attacks would you even have in a week? And she said, maybe 10, maybe 12. Um, she's like, I just can't keep going this route. And, you know, she was on, they tried every single medication and she was, you know, pumped full of drugs. And then she's like, I just don't want to be a zombie anymore. That's the point. Of, you know, that's kind of where it's going for her. And so I thought, okay, two things we need to have happen is let's get this diet straightened out. Let's go paleo for a little bit and see what happens with you. And let's do a stool analysis, you know, with that. And, you know, sure enough, her stool analysis came back and it was just, you know, yeast like crazy. I mean, she had a full blown candida problem. Um, and she had, you know, she said, I've never even had this test before. I don't even know what, you know, this candida or this yeast is. And I mean, it literally probably took about maybe two months where we went strict paleo, cut everything out, stopped feeding the yeast. Essentially, you know, you cut that sugar out. It's not going to proliferate these organisms. And I, I remember, you know, she came back in and she goes, I had a wedding uh, this weekend. And she said, I did a maid of honor speech. And she said, I would have never been able to stand up in front of those people had I not had this taken care of. And she goes, I've been dealing with this for eight years. And it really just took a strict paleo diet for a couple months you know, basically trying to get those yeast to, to you know, they, they don't have any nutrition, they don't have anything, so they're dying off. And she did great. She did the maid of honor speech. She went to baseball games. She's like, it really it changed my life. And so that was the kind of one of the simplest stories I have of just a dramatic change right off the bat of just, just going paleo and to, to take somebody from debilitating anxiety at the age of 32, you know, to where she couldn't go out into public. And I mean, she was a realtor. I mean, what is she going to do if she can't, you know, she can't do that. And, you know, two months of strict paleo to bring her all the way back around to where she could stand up in front of a bunch of people and make a speech for her best friend. I mean, it's it's insane, that type of story. You know, when you talk about just changing, you know, a base nutrition. 
It, it is amazing. And sometimes, like you said, it's only two months, six weeks. It's unbelievable how much someone can deflate from inflammation and uh, just turn around. It's, uh, it's so worth it. And then you talk, you know, when you were mentioning earlier, growing up and the whole shooting the insulin and then like putting after the sugar on the raisin bran. <laughs> yep. I don't mean to laugh, but you yep. know, that's just, it's just like, it's so brutal. Um, and the thing about it is, is that it's such, uh, I'm empathetic towards the, the ignorance, the unbeknownst to them because of how the medical community has told them how to operate with this thing. But the reason that example kills me is, you know, not too long ago, found out old friend of mine went down the, ate themselves into, you know, type two. And instead of fixing it the way we're talking about with paleo diet, starting there, they decided to take a pill or take a drug for it. You know, you can go eat a bowl of candy and shoot some insulin to offset it, but that is just not what the body wants to happen. <laughs> and it is just crazy that people do that. And if there's anyone out there, if you can convince your family members not to go down that road and to seek a nutritional uh, solution first. Um, I mean, listen, I still eat bacon and burger like all the time, like the best foods that ever existed. They're incredible. Um, I just ate beef ribs earlier. I mean, what what kind of sacrifices? What kind of sacrifice is that? There's no sacrifice. Uh, but I don't eat pasta and the junk and the etc. And it's just amazing. And I was also pre-diabetic, and I know you can turn it around. And so I know this is a mission of yours with type two. Yep. We got to get people off this philosophy that the the pill will just offset because your body still doesn't want that. That insulin is still not what the body wants, right? It, 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 because the right, the species that live the longest uh, secrete the least amount of insulin, right? So even if you're offsetting a candy bowl, I mean, can you just talk about this sick kind of conundrum there? Yeah, I mean, first thing I always start with people. I mean, you you know, you don't have diabetes because of it's a you know a lack of insulin. <laughs> so that's the number one thing. It's like you're injecting more insulin in, but you know, it's certainly unless you're a type one diabetic you know, you're, you're not, your body's not designed to run on an injection. And if you look at the mechanism of action of all of these drugs, other, you know, other than metformin, um, how it's working, you know, you look at your secretagogues and all these, it's, it's making you promote or, you know, push out more insulin. And that's not it. It's hyperinsulinemia is really the disease process. You have too much insulin and you lead to the resistance. So for me, I mean, if I'm going to talk to anybody about type two diabetes and what's actually going on with their body, I want them to understand first and foremost, what is actually going on? And I mean, I'll do presentations and I'll do talks and I'll ask people in their initial consultation, I'll say, why do you think you have diabetes? And, you know, obviously some of them will say I eat poorly, but the second most common thing somebody will tell me is my pancreas isn't working. I'm like, really? Let's run a C-peptide. And sure enough, it's either working fine and producing insulin or they're producing a ton of insulin, you know? So I tell them in many cases, your, your pancreas is working overtime. Okay. So you can't just look at these drugs as the end all be all, because in many cases they're perpetuating the very problem that you have. Bingo. And so, you know, you, you're pushing so much insulin to these people. And, you know, as a, as a regular type two diabetic that doesn't have any kind of autoimmune issues, the first thing you've got to do, and that's why paleo is so good for this is the fact that you have to regulate your insulin secretion. It has to be a, you know, a, an amount that's sustained throughout the day. You know, and I, I don't subscribe to one size fits all. So 
Some of my diabetics may eat small meals throughout the day. Some of them may go through intermittent fasting. But both of those you know, routes are designed to get somebody to regulate insulin secretion and try to promote that insulin sensitivity to come back. Um, so that's the biggest thing. And then we have obviously type one and a half diabetics that is a totally different story. Um, and I have a, you know, a, a, a perfect example of how we had to go a different route with somebody with that. Um, but yeah, as far as just a regular type two, you know, these, these drugs just don't fix the problem. And they, you know, as you can see in, with many people, it's, you start at two milligrams of glipizide, then sure enough, a year later you go to four, then you go to six, then you go to eight. Then you're on, you know, Invokana, then you're trying Trulicity, and then you go from 10 units of Lantus to 20, and then you're going to take it in the morning. And I don't think people connect the dots of why that's happening. And they're, you know, they're, I'm not saying all medical doctors are going to say this, but it's always your body is getting used to it. Now we have to up the dose. Well, that mm-hmm. makes sense, you know. So, yeah, I think the, the, the reality of these drugs needs to be out in the public, how they actually work, what they're actually doing, and what the disease process actually is. It's such an epidemic. And uh, I, hey, listen, I was a part of it. I was in it. <laughs> I was there. Uh, I was pre-diabetic. And I can say that it feels gross. I remember because I had the contrast of knowing something and I almost couldn't qualify it exactly other to say that it does. It feels like inflammation. And I did have thick, sticky blood. And it felt, um, it just, it, yeah, it, it, it feels awful. And it's so different. When uh, how you feel based on your HbA1c result and other factors, and it just it's it's like a whole new world, and I just can't imagine if it had continued beyond that into full blown anything. But I have a a slight idea of that. Just ugh, it something's wrong, you know, something's off, and also too, you know, uh, just we'll have to throw it in there uh, because the topic is always on my mind. But hypothyroidism too, untreated and undiagnosed or unsupported uh, properly for many, many years can lead people into, into a type two or insulin resistant situation. And, um, again, have, have to look at the factors. So let's get back to functional medicine. We're not just, yeah, you look at blood work and you might look at it in a different way. So that's one element. Tell us, you know, again, we know Western medicine, yeah, unless you want a pill or surgery, right? That's what you're looking for. Um, and it is the third leading cause of death in our country, which is which is pretty astounding. Um, how would you describe functional medicine to like a 10-year-old? Oh, good question. Um, functional medicine to a 10-year-old. Let's see. We could say that... Uh, we could go up to like a 14-year-old. <laughs> so for somebody that comes in that has no idea, um, obviously, and like I said before, you can use the cliche of root cause, and most people know that. Um, but if I'm really explaining it to somebody, let's, I'd say, let's say you came to me with foot pain. Okay. And you said, my foot has been hurting for the last two months, ever since I went on a hike and I came back and my foot hurts. I have no idea why my foot hurts, so on and so forth. And I would say, well, if I was your primary care physician, a conventionally trained doctor, what I would probably do is give you ibuprofen and say, hey, let's see what this 800 milligrams of ibuprofen daily can do to curb your pain. Okay. And that's the the conventional model. Then I would say the functional medicine model is going to be following the breadcrumb trail. We're going to go all the way back to when you started having this problem. You know, your health is on a spectrum. And if you're 100% healthy on that spectrum, you're fine. But things can lead to you stepping off that spectrum. And sure enough, at the end of the spectrum, if you do enough wrong things, you'll lead to a disease process. So I'll say, okay, we, we started to have pain when you were you know, you were hiking. What happened when you were hiking? You say, well, I was outside. I put my shoes on. We were walking through gravel. Okay, well, let's take your shoe off and look. 
and say, sure enough, there's a pebble in your shield. I remove the pebble, your foot pain goes away. And that's the difference I tell people that have no idea what it is. It's that I'm going to be a detective for your health, figure out why this happened to you, what underlying cause needs to be removed or what physiological process needs to be improved so that the outcome or the symptom that you have, in this case, foot pain, will go away. I don't want to just give you something that will make you feel better without investigating why it happened in the first place. Functional medicine is not about doing a patchwork situation, although sometimes, of course, in any given scenario, you might need a little bit of that for starters. But at the end of the day, that's not what it's about. Like you said, the root cause, cliche as it is, even if it's not root causes, it's root tangent. So even if you don't necessarily know the cause, there's other things that are wrong in a sphere of a disease process, right? So to go and look at those things and try to help assist all of those processes is something Western medicine is just not doing. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and it, it made me know it's, it's no fault of their own. I mean, obviously we know, I forget what the, the study was. It was, wasn't it two years ago where, or a year ago possibly where, you know, all these medical doctors are saying they're burnt out. I mean, they're seeing so many patients and, and really they don't have enough time other than, you know, in those eight minutes to, to just, you know, they don't have anything else to do other than write a script. So, I think when you, you look at functional medicine, it's trying to decentralize the care. We're trying to, you know, I don't want to see more than, you know, 10 or 20 people a day because I need more time to talk to these people. And, you know, I, I, a patient I had come in and, and this is kind of if you, if you ever talk to other functional medicine practitioners, it's we're the ninth or 10th or 11th doctor and somebody comes in and says, well, boy, I hope you can help me. Um, and you know, so it's, and that's fine. And they not this patient I had, she brought in a crate of all of her labs for the last 10 years and you know, her hair was falling out and her eyebrows were thinning and she was inflamed and her face was, I mean, it was all puffy and dark circles under her eyes. Oh, I know where we're going with this one. (laughs) She would have, you know, low blood sugar moments and high blood sugar moments and weight gain. I mean, you know, right up your alley, obviously, you know exactly where we're going with this. So, um, but you know, she, she had a lot of testing done and she had gone through, you know, other holistic practitioners and everything else. And I'm looking at, you know, stool analyses and I'm looking at adrenal analyses and everything else. I'm going, wow. You know, and she was gluten free. And, um, I was like, this is unbelievable that you feel this way. And yet you eat a certain way. She already knew she had, you know, numerous food allergies and I'm kind of going, okay, well, what in the world is going on with this? And so, you know, I'll tell this story to people where, you know, you know I am your practitioner, but I'm also going to be your teammate in your health. So at that point, I really didn't know what direction to go with her. So I basically was just talking to her as a friend say, Hey, well, you know, where did you grow up? And she said, Oh, you know, I grew up in West Virginia and you know, that's about the time I felt at my worst. And I left there and I started to feel a little bit better, but I, you know, it's, it's not quite back to full 100% healthy, obviously. And so that kind of made me think, okay, well, what happened in West Virginia that made her feel so sick? And, you know, this wasn't the answer to her story, but it certainly led us to a point to, to investigate. And she said, I lived there because my father worked in the uh, coal mining industry and all these things. And, you know, we had factories that dumped into the river there and we were around all these coal mines. And I'm like, okay, the one test this person, uh, she has never had done is a heavy metal toxicity test. Let's look at that. Okay. And, you know, sure enough, it came back with, she, I think had, it was like in the 99.9% percentile of arsenic. Um, I think uh, this is a while back. So I think over, over five is considered toxic and she was at 56, something like that. Um, now arsenic has a short, 
short half-life. So I don't, I wouldn't say necessarily that it was from, you know, that area where she was living, but it certainly told me, okay, maybe this person is just not detoxing properly. And then I kind of connected the dots as well, where she went full blown gluten free. And as we've seen with a lot of these people that have gone gluten free, they're eating things that have brown rice and she's eating a lot of chicken and all this stuff is kind of compounding to where the arsenic level just shot through the roof. Yes. First of all, I want to just stop and highlight that, that you mentioned about rice being high in that component. Um, And again, when you're already jacked up with lack of detoxicity abilities, then you're going to kind of what, stack it up, aren't you? You got it. Yeah. I mean, it bottlenecked for her. And and then to get back to where you're going with this, ransom lab work and sure enough, Hashimoto's. So we've got toxicity issues that are leading to, you know, promotion of an inflammation. The antibodies go through the roof and that's all it took. All it took for me was to ask questions that had never been asked to asked, you know, to her by her other practitioners and physicians. It was, you know, that's why I say I'm I'm trying to be a detective in your health. When did things go wrong? You know, talk to me instead of just telling me the symptoms I want to hear about your life, you know, because everybody's different. We've all lived different lives. We're all different ethnicities. We're all, you know, different genetics and something. Usually when you talk to a patient, they're going to tell you exactly, you know, what is wrong with them. And that's, you know, I had to wait about an hour to hour and a half, but she told me exactly what was wrong with her. And that's what functional medicine is. Can I just say that the, um, and so I, I'm sure you saw the difference then between when she finally overcame it and before when she walked in, when you have severe hypothyroidism, it is horrible to wake up every day and your whole entire face and eyes are so puffy. You've like skin thickening. It's like the it's the grossest feeling in the world. It's so horrific. It's like you just can't wait to for the day to end to go to bed so that you don't have to like live in this skin. It's appalling. And I just it it pains my heart because again, like you said, people come to you and functional practitioners because they've been to everyone else under the sun in their entire you know HMO network, you know for their insurance, everything, and or even other integrated physicians, etc. And then they finally go to a functional doctor, and a lot of functional uh, practitioners and doctors are paleo and also chiropractic uh, physicians like yourself. And it's just amazing how that is so complimentary to it. But I just want to, gosh, I just really empathize for that story, you know, because that was me really too. And it's no way to live. Um, and there's an answer. There are answers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you obviously know more about this than I, I would, as far as, you know, your own personal story. And, and, but for me, I've seen enough people walk through my door. And I think the one thing that really rubs me the wrong way as far as Hashimoto's and any kind of hypothyroid situation is that, um, you know, obviously there's the physical issues, there's the inflammation that's, you know, how you feel, how you look and, you know, sleep and everything else. But I think the biggest thing for me and, you know, why I, you know, focus on those, you know, with type two or, 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 or the Hashimoto's is that eventually mentally, you are looked at as the problem child patient. You are looked at as somebody that it's all in your head. You need to de-stress. You have anxiety. Let's put you on Lexapro. And you become this person that your doctor, you know, when you're on the schedule, they see your name. It's like, oh, boy, here we go again. You know, what's what's wrong with her today? And oh, yeah, for sure. So, and that's I, so that to me is like when, when we get somebody in, obviously, these are difficult cases with Hashimoto's, as you know. But when somebody can turn the corner and it's usually right off, you know, it's usually there's a certain week or a certain month where it's just immediately they just seem to skyrocket. 
and they come in and it's like, whoa, like who is this person walking into my lobby? You know, and they're just back to, you know, I had one patient where her husband came in and said, wow, you know, I have my wife back. You know, it's a totally different, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing that really rubs me the wrong way is that, you, that, you know, Hashimoto's patients kind of get pushed to the side as, hey, we're doing everything we can with Levo and Synthroid, sorry. And there's so much more to it. And it's, a, I mean, it's not necessarily a simple fix, but it doesn't, you know, it's not going to take decades, you know, in as little as a month or two months or six months, you can exactly. get her, you know. 100%. It's really actually, once you're on the right path. It's, it can be quite quick. And even the most complicated scenarios, six months to a year max, that would be for like the the largest disasters, which are super complicated. But other than that, it really is a short journey once you're on the right trajectory. And it's so important to get there. And that's why I do only believe in fun. You know, it's, it's terrible. I have to like, so I pay for insurance that I really only use because I only have it because, okay, what if I fall off a cliff? All right. right. <laughs> Fall the cliff and I'm like, I need to re- be rebuilt, <laughs> become a robot. It's going to cost like 80 mil. <laughs> you know, that's why I have insurance. Um, other than that, and, you know, for th- what I can get out of it, which be like, okay, one CBC lipid panel a year. <laughs> like, okay, you know, in my uh, pap smear or whatever. And then I go to my functional doctor. Do you right. know what I mean? It's, it's, it's immediate. It's like, okay this is all I have for whatever. I'll use this for these things, but it's not useful to me except for what you talked about at the beginning. It's useful when, yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, I had laryngitis once you need, I need a shot of cortisone in my butt right now. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Okay. Those are times when, you know, you've got to go to urgent care and God bless Western medicine, right? It's great. But for the most part, that's kind of what my program is. And I think that's a lot of our listeners and a lot of people in the paleo primal ancestral community is that we're seeking out functional practitioners who understand also and, and talking the same talk. You know, you were right. speaking earlier about statins. I mean, did a whole podcast on it about just the unnecessary prescription of those and how, unless you have a terrible CAD screening score, the, right. the misreading of the lipid panels. I noticed recently when I went to the, you know, BS, whatever doctor for the annual blood work, and they did the lipid panel. And I noticed noticed that they wrote back and they're like, their assessment, automated assessment was something like, uh, your cholesterol is slightly elevated, but the ratio, and I was like, oh, hey, they're talking ratios now. Who are these people? They're getting fancy because they weren't doing that just a few years ago. So I have hope that they're going to start to look at things differently, but the majority of the people aren't. And that's why functional uh, medicine is is the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I have a, a one case that it kind of it brought everything full circle for me in a, in a weird way. Um, and I think I think it was actually like my second year even practicing it. And it goes back to almost what you were talking about with, you know, we can go to our doctors. I mean, I, to be honest, I haven't had a physical since 2007. So I keep my catastrophic insurance, like you said, in case I need life flight in anywhere. Um, but this person came in and he, he was, you know, he was not feeling well and he was a diabetic and all this stuff. And he kind of came in because, you know, we, that's primarily what we treat. So if they, if they hear that, he came in and say, Hey, you know, I I would love to reverse my diabetes and I want to get my health under control. And, and I, I mean, I remember looking at the guy and he was, you know, maybe he's probably five, six and like 130 pounds at 125, maybe 120. And I'm going, okay, pretty skinny guy. He has type two diabetes. This is interesting. And he looked awful. I mean, he just looked like, 
I mean, it's just yellow skin and just, it just looked, I mean, it looked like a burlap sack. I mean, to be, to be honest, it just looked awful. And I'm going, how sick is this guy? So we sat down and I said, when's the last time you've been to your doctor? He said, oh, I was actually uh, there a couple or about a month ago. And I'm, he's like, I brought the lab work. And I mean, I'm looking him in the eyes too. And, and he's got jaundice. And I'm like, okay, well, if he was there a month ago, let me see these labs. And, and they just run their, you know, just small little metabolic panel, not comprehensive at all. And he's got AST and ALT that are, are elevated. And I said, well, hey, what, what did your doc say about these? And he said, oh, we're just going to watch it. We're just going to manage it. It's not that bad just yet. Um, and I'm going, really? Did he see you? And he goes, yeah, I mean, that was a month ago. And he, and he said, I, I felt the way I did then and how I do now. So I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run a comprehensive metabolic panel. We need to see, you know, lactate dehydrogenase. We need to see your GGT. We need to see your alkaline phosphatase. Just get a good idea because he just didn't look good to me. And that came back in like four days. And his GGT was 639. Alkaline phosphatase was like 200 and something. I mean, it was all over the place. And I, I called him and I said, you need to get to your doctor right now. I'm going to email you these results and take them with you. And so we get a call about two or three days later from his wife and he had pancreatic cancer and it was stage two. And the tumor was on the head of the pancreas and it was pushing up against his bile duct and everything was getting backed up. So that's why, you know, the GGT and the ALKFOS were so high and they did a Whipple, cut it out. And he, you know, from what I know, about a year, two years later, still cancer free. And sure enough, blood sugar went back to normal. Blood sugar went under control. So, um, you know, it, it came full circle to me where I was like, okay, I couldn't help my mom, but I found this guy that that was, he said, you know, his primary says, we're going to manage this and just watch it. I and mean, then what, what are you waiting for? The guy looks so sick. So to get him that, that, that made me want to just jump off a bridge. I, <laughs> your, your, your patient is yellow for fuck's sake. Like, what are you, and, and to not go into more testing or look further into it. And that's the problem too. They're just not going to look further into something. It's just like, Oh, it's elevated. So we'll wait to see if it's still elevated later, or and then maybe think about thinking about thinking about something to do. I mean, what? It's insurance. stage two. It's amazing. And you know, I was also saved by my functional doctor because I was like, I could have had like a heart attack or stroke. I had all sorts of stuff going on at the time, and um, it really just took some supplemental clean out and detoxing for me to just get back to normal. And it's you know just right there in the blood work as well. And yet, if you had taken a standard, you know, physical panel, Western doctor move, the doctor would have been like, and and was like, hey, you're doing great. Keep doing what you're doing. Because <laughs> they weren't looking at extra inflammatory markers and things that at some point you got to go in depth. And if you want to do that, you can only go functional. Um, I'd love to hear too some other transformations. What about patients? I mean, again, let's talk about autoimmune for a second, because aside from Hashimoto's, which... Um, we we mentioned, and of course, there's type 1 diabetes, which is the autoimmune form. We've got like rheumatoid arthritis, things like that. People are so affected by grains on this and legumes, diet. I mean, we talked to Seamus Mullen, the famous chef who basically cured his rheumatoid arthritis. He was on like 12 different medications, biologics, was a, was a disaster. He said every time he took a walk down a step, he felt like his foot was getting smashed by a crater. You know what I mean? Like he just, he was a disaster. And then he looked at food and cleaned it out, did what, you know, we know and preach. 
And then next thing you know, within like, I think it was a total of 18 months, but after six months, pain subsiding, then he's weaning off medications. And for seven years now, completely medication free because of food, you know, and um, the friend of mine, Chef Courtney Contos, who introduced me to you and your work uh, is curing herself too. And I've seen her blood work and antibodies drop and 30 pounds of weight fall off and, you know, uh, a foot that's able to heal now because the rheumatoid arthritis that was racking her body, the the factors are so low and, you know, likely going to be non-existent at some point. People are living in a pharmaceutical hell with this rheumatoid arthritis stuff and it doesn't right. need yeah, to Yeah, I mean, I had a long, long conversation with Courtney about her specific, you know, case and I've got two um, patients right now that RA patients that we're, we're helping and both of which we've gotten off all medications related to rheumatoid and, you know, I had one coming in with a walker I mean, could had to just lean on that thing the entire way down the hallway and back and and you know, <laughs> and I, I like I, like you said, the first thing we've got to do is just take away those inflammatory foods. I mean, you have an inflammatory disease. Why is the first thing you're going to do as a doctor give medication to to you know make that fire go away when you're really just spraying the water hose of the smoke and not the fire? You've got to take away these foods. And you take away the dairy, you take away the grains, you go paleo, and it's just night and day difference, like I said, with, with these two patients that we started working with. And we've got several more, obviously, with these autoimmune diseases. But it's like, wow, for once, I'm waking up with no joint pain. It's unbelievable. And I think the biggest thing is when people hear paleo or they hear you know, keto or they hear any of these, these, uh, these diets, it's that it's difficult. And it really isn't. It, it's not difficult. And once you start to feel better, then your mind starts to change and, you know, you, you want to eat that way and it, it just changes your life. And so with these autoimmune patients, you know, grains, especially taking those away, I mean, you're finally getting the fire put out. I mean, you really are. Um, so I, we've seen some awesome results with patients like that. Obviously speaking with Courtney, I mean, her case is extraordinary to, you know, everything that she had to do and, and to go from, you know, wheelchair bound to walking, running. Um, and, and those people and the, you know, the RA patients that we have, it's their docs have given up. It's just pump you full of those meds and Hey, let's put you on some prednisone for years and shut your adrenals down and, and everything else. It's just, they're just again, cast to the side. Yeah. And, uh, for Courtney will be on the podcast at some point and we'll talk about her whole journey. Um, but you know, I've noticed since high school and when you Find out that your friend, I mean, I almost want to cry right now from the phone call where, uh, that she was wheelchair bound for so long and like couldn't even walk to the bathroom and it's just brings tears to your eyes. And, uh, you guys, if you're out there and you want to be inspired by that or share her story with anyone, you can follow her chef Courtney Contos on Instagram and there's photos of her in a wheelchair and, you know, uh, being able to walk now. And it's just amazing. Um, and again, you know, interesting, like I, I've spoke, know her as a chef and then also interviewed Seamus Mullen, who, you know, these chefs as well too, just the, the intricacies of food and what they know about it too. You know, uh, I think it was Seamus Mullen, yeah, who told me that he's like, I can't eat Szechuan food at all. And I was like, oh, is that because of certain spices or, you know, what, what's that about? He goes, no, it's because the way that they like heat the peppers to a certain point, smoke point, releases the amount of lectins. You know, he got like, there was like a science to that, that I was like, ooh, it's profound. And it really killed him though, in terms of symptoms. And it's just so important. Like this stuff is drugs. Yeah. Food. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Tell us how we can benefit from you. Do you work with people remotely? Uh, there's so many people stuck places that can't get to you personally, or are you just uh, local area only? Um, you know, primarily we're local um, just because, I, I, like I said, you know, the area of the United States that we live in, I mean, there's more than enough people that are being, you know, have these chronic diseases that need help. So we have, we treat a lot of local patients, but, uh, we definitely do remote. You know, I've, I had a patient in Venezuela. We've had in Phoenix, Arizona, Michigan, Washington. I mean, anybody that wants to reach out and has a story or has something where they just don't know what to do. Um, we will certainly help. I mean, we will do whatever we can to get you, you know, in a functional medicine track protocol, uh, program, you know, whatever is going to fit your need. Um, we can, we can do it all. So local remote doesn't matter to us. And we will put all the links in the show notes for social media and the website, but it's F H C Carolinas.com. And thank you so much for coming on the show and for being a part of this movement of functional medicine and helping us get the word out, you know, to everybody that this is available and really important if you're dealing with something that's not easily fixed by something simple. Yeah, thank you so much, Ellen. It was a pleasure being on here. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. It used to be called Primal Calm, and the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight or flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout, but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function, maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy stressful day. This stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage. So I like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com. 